You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks to us, that you have spoken in many times and many places through your prophets in the Old Testament, through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and in your word, the Bible. And we ask that you would speak through me this evening, that we might hear you, and that we might love you, and that we might walk in your ways. And this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please have your bulletin open to the Galatians reading, so you can follow along and check that what I'm saying is true and trustworthy. Well, freedom is something that we can all agree is a good thing, can't we? We love freedom in whatever form it takes, whether it be the simple freedom of the weekend with no plans or freedom from oppression. Freedom is rarely a bad thing. In our passage, Paul says that the Christian life is one of freedom. I wonder if you've ever thought of that, if you've ever thought, what is a Christian? A Christian is free. This is a good and beautiful thing, but this freedom that we have, it can be abused, it can be misused. The good news is that God is completely and utterly committed to setting you free. So much so that he's given us his Holy Spirit who's working within us, birthing fruit in us and guiding us in our freedom. Our passage comes in the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia, and he begins this He begins this letter in chapter 1 by rebuking and correcting the Galatians because they'd been influenced by false teaching. These false teachers who were called Judaizers were telling the Galatians that though they had been justified by faith, they they had to continue to submit to and to follow the Old Testament laws, particularly circumcision. We read in Acts 15, we, we read them saying, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These false teachers were adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was gospel plus the works of the law. Essentially, they were trying to make them Jews once again. Hence, they were trying to Judaize them. But Paul's argument all throughout this book, and particularly in our passage, is that Jesus Christ has set us free, especially free from the law. Look at verse 1 with me in this passage. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The first thing I want to highlight from this passage, as I've been saying, is that God is totally committed to your freedom. In Christ you have been set free. Previously, before Christ came and before he saved us, we were enslaved by the law. We were burdened down by its heavy demands, which we were not able to meet. This is because the law's demands cannot be satisfied merely by symbolic or external obedience. We can't just pick or choose that requirement or this one, such as circumcision, and then leave the rest behind. Now, the law's demands can only be satisfied by total, complete and perfect compliance to its every demand. Because of this, we are tormented by the law's fearful condemnation, which we are rightly deserving because of our disobedience to God, our rebellion against him, our sin, shown in our inability to do what he requires of us. Because of this sin, the law which God gave us as a good and holy thing 
becomes a burden that condemns us. But Jesus has come and has freed us from the demands of the law and from the condemnation of the law. He did this by fulfilling the entirety of the law, by keeping every law perfectly and by paying its penalty, dying on the cross in our place. And this freedom becomes ours through our faith in his achievement, in his work. When we trust that he is our only hope of salvation and when we give up trying to make ourselves right before God through our own efforts and when we throw ourselves at his grace and mercy. In Jesus Christ, by his atoning sacrifice, we have been set free because our standing for God is not based on our own works but on his work on the cross, on his grace and forgiveness, which is freely given to us. Now, the problem is that we misuse and abuse this freedom that we have. The first way we misuse this freedom is by enslaving ourselves back to the law. This is what Paul says at the end of verse 1. The law in this instance represents the religion of human achievement, of what we can do by our own good works and efforts. It manifests itself in external practices, practices that have the illusion of holiness but have no power to change the heart and no power to produce love for one another. The alternative to the religion of human achievement is the religion of divine achievement, of what God has done through the finished work of Christ. Despite the fact that Christ has set us free from the law, we are constantly tempted to burden ourselves with the law once again. We want a list of things to help us to know that we're doing things the right way. I'm not sure if that's true for your case, but I need someone telling me external affirmation that I'm doing it right. That help us to know that we are holy and pleasing to God. Yet we fail to see that these external practices become the goal in themselves. Instead of worshipping God, we end up focusing on them. Instead of focusing on our love, uh, God's love for us in Christ, we become slaves of what we can do for him. We take things that are good and useful and turn them into something we must do. We turn them into law. This is what we commonly call legalism. When we take valuable things and elevate them to ultimate things, things that we think Christians must do in order to be right with God, that Christians must do to be good Christians. Now, I am a tragic legalist. I love legalism. Um, I always, you know, I was always the good kid in school. I, I love things being ordered and proper, and you can probably tell that because I'm an Anglican minister. But when I first came to the Advent, I had this idea in my head about how a church service should look. I come from uh, a very low stream of Anglicanism, of Episcopalianism, uh, and so I came to the Advent and I was shocked that, you know, people were wearing robes and there's candles and it was all kind of crazy for me. I had this idea in my head about how people should worship, how a service should look, how Christians should act. And so I was guilty of judging everyone and everything that didn't match my scheme, that didn't match my own standards, my own laws. I didn't understand the freedom that we have in Christ. And I'm still guilty of this sin, uh, so please forgive me when you notice me judging you or you know, my legalism comes out. Uh, I need the grace of God in this area. But in Christ, we are freed from the law and its demands on our life. But this freedom is fragile on this side of glory, and we must be vigilant not to abuse our freedom 
and burden ourselves once again under the law. But the second way that we misuse our freedom is kind of the the flip side of legalism. We misuse our freedom by enslaving ourselves to the flesh. This is the main point of what Paul is trying to make in this portion of Scripture. Look at verse 13 with me. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Though we are free, we often use this freedom to indulge our flesh, and by doing so, we become, uh, we become slaves to our desires. This misuse of our freedom is commonly found in the idea that our freedom means that we can do whatever we want to do. That because we are saved by grace through faith, we can just behave however we want. That our freedom is a freedom of unlimited choice, a license to do whatever we want or please. We hear this today in our society in phrases such as, you do you, or be true to yourself. This idea and ideology situates the self as the highest authority in life. It claims that you are most free when you are being authentic and true to yourself, when you're doing whatever you desire. Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. To paraphrase another pastor, we are not most free when we act true to ourselves, We are most free when we act in the way that we were made to be, the way that God intended us to be. See, the problem is that our desires and therefore our choices are corrupted by sin. When Paul uses this term flesh, he means our sinful human nature. He means our natural desires, which have been distorted by the fall, distorted by sin, causing them to be full of selfishness and prone to sin. And because of this corruption and distortion, we are unable in our own ability to choose the right thing, to choose the good thing. We always end up choosing the things that are opposed to God and his rule over our life. As verse 17 puts it, there is a war waging on inside of us and in the world between our sinful desires and God's desires. As Paul explains, the life that is led by the flesh is opposed to a life led by God in his spirit. The freedom of the Christian life that we enjoy is a freedom from sin, not a freedom to sin. Well, the good news is, well, look at verse 16 with me. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. God in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, has and is freeing us from the yoke of of the law and from the desires of the flesh. As the Spirit works in us, instead of choosing our freedom for ourselves uh, or choosing to abuse our freedom, we will use our freedom to love God and to love our neighbor. Our freedom gives us an opportunity to become slaves not to the flesh and not to the law, but to slaves of Christ and his righteousness, the righteousness which leads to life. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, what it doesn't mean is that we kind of sit around and contemplate and wait for the Spirit's prompting in our life, you know, waiting, sitting in bed, waiting for the Spirit to tell us to get out of bed, put on your clothes and go to work, because, I mean, I would never go to work if that was the case. 
What we see in this passage is that it means standing firm in our freedom. It means through love serving one another. It means crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. That is through repentance, we turn away from sin and by faith we turn to God, growing in our relationship with him through reading his word and spending time with him in prayer. The problem we face in this is that until Christ returns, we're caught in this in-between time where although the process of transformation has begun in us right now and we're given every spiritual blessing right now, sin still hangs on to us. Sin still remains, corrupting our ability to perfectly love God and our neighbour or in this case to perfectly walk by the Spirit. We cannot walk by the Spirit in our own strength. We cannot stand firm on our own. We need God's Spirit enabling us and empowering us. We can only walk by the Spirit when the Spirit is bearing fruit within us. The good news, he, the good news is, He is a willing helper in this task. For those who put their faith in Christ, the Spirit dwells within you right now. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, He is at work within you now, bearing good fruit in your life. And just a side note to finish on this, just some implications that come from this. Christian community is vital in this endeavour. I'm glad that we're having a fellowship dinner after the service because I'm committed to growing the fellowship of believers in this place because we need the encouragement of other Christians around us through the weekly gathering of the church, through small groups, through one-to-one discipleship. We need people in our lives who can see our blind spots and who can lovingly correct us when they see us misusing or abusing our freedoms, either for to put us under a slavery of the law or even to put us under slavery of our desires. We need to be corrected and trained in righteousness by the Spirit and by those around us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I encourage you with the words of Paul, stand firm in your freedom and walk by the Spirit that you might be truly free. Let us pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that by your Son we are set free, that we are free from the condemnation and the demands of the law, and we are free from sin. Help us by your Spirit who dwells within us to walk in your ways, to love and serve you and others. Father, this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.